0: and Sean Osimbo. This is another installment yet again of our FIFA Women's World Cup series where we really look at the business of the FIFA World Cup and track especially the African teams who are doing so so well at the Women's World Cup currently. So as you might know, Banyana Banyana beat Italy 3-2 to win their first ever game at the World Cup and make history by qualifying for the knockout stages and so we thought it would be great to bring not only an observer but a pioneer in women's football in South Africa to the podcast to just reflect on this massive achievement for Banyana Banyana. So we have no other than a real pioneer for women's football in South Africa, the former Banyana Banyana coach and technical director for women's football at SAFA in her past as well. It's a great pleasure to have on the Africa Business of Sport podcast, Fran Hilton-Smith. Fran, welcome to the podcast. It's an honour to have you on.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to be here.
0: So as I did allude to, and you might know, probably one of the happiest people in the world right now, just for the size of this achievement, but Banyana Banyana beat Italy 3-2 to win their first ever game at the World Cup and qualify for the knockout stages. And you being a pioneer of women's football in Africa, and especially in South Africa, it would be a great insight to give your perspective on this massive achievement. So from all your years of experience and of dedication to developing women's football in South Africa, could you just put into context for us the size and importance of Banyana Banyana's round of 16 qualification for our country and the local women's game?
1: Well, obviously for me, for the players, the technical team, the country, it's a dream come true. I mean, from when I started playing and got involved with the national teams in like 93, We, you know when we got back into world football that's the dream, is to go to a World Cup firstly it took us a long time to get there until 2019 and now to, to get to our second World Cup and on top of it to get out of the group stage that was the goal, to get out of the group stage and now we have achieved that um, that was the, the cake. And now, obviously, everything else is the icing and the cherry on top. But for me, in my lifetime, it's a dream come true. I always used to tell my friends at FIFA when I went to work, there's an instructor, whatever, since 2001, that we have the best players in the world. And they'd always laugh at me. So now I'm laughing. <laughs>
2: That is so wonderful. And I know the whole of Africa, we are definitely celebrating with South Africa because uh, South Africa advancing to the last 16 is a very important step when it comes to the development of women's football across the continent. And Fran, you're a legend in South African football spaces, given your 40 plus years. That's so amazing. Involved in the beautiful game, yourself and other key stakeholders have paved the way for South Africa women's national team to achieve what they have this far. What are your thoughts on the current state of affairs of South African women's football and how will this be influenced in the legacy of the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup including Banyana's impeccable showing thus far?
1: Well, I think this impacts tremendously. I mean, the whole country is abuzz with this, uh, this achievement and not just South Africa. I mean, you know, I'm a CAF instructor. I was on the CAF technical committee for ten years up until recently, and 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 now for Africa to be um, having three teams in the in the next round is absolutely unbelievable. At the cost of, you know, uh, Germany, Brazil. Who would have ever thought? So for those countries, but for South Africa. It's a major step forward. Every little girl's going to want to play soccer. Every little girl's going to want to be a Hilda, a Binyana star. And I'm actually, as we speak, at a, a tournament in Tikalolo up there near Limpopo that's called the Fran Hilton Smith Tournament under 13 girls. And there's hundreds of little girls here running around playing soccer, dreaming of being a Yilda, Tembi, a Linda, reveal we, you know, so this really bodes well for the future of women's
0: football. Speak about your experience having been in the CAF technical committee. Just before we move on to the next question, I'd love to hear just how much of a technical strategy success this has been, because I can't imagine there has been tremendous work and efforts being done behind the scenes to ensure that our women's teams in Africa keep improving their performances in major tournaments.
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, when I was at CAF, I fought endlessly for more tournaments, um, more women coaches to be developed, and that's what I've done there and we've done. And even in South Africa, I developed 27 CAFE woman coaches and uh, all the coaches in Banyana, Desiree, uh, some Pimid Lulu's there, the under-17, uh, Shaleen Boyson, the goalkeeper coach, uh, the assistant coach, they all my products. And we've got all these women now the World Cup going to the next round in Nigeria, and Jenny, the goalkeeper coach is another one of my products. So I fought for women's football and instructors at CAF, and they, you know, there was only, even I fought with FIFA, not CAF, to get more women's teams from Africa in the World Cup. We used to have won for many, many years, and forever the ones who qualified was Nigeria, because they'd... They'd been in the World Cup since ninety one, so it was very, very difficult for us to, um, you know, catch up with them.
2: Yes, and being uh, a part of the technical team, you know how important. And we keep on having this conversation over and over again about sustainability. So building sustainable men's football uh, in leagues across Africa, especially for men's football, requires both financial support and long-term commitment. So what recommendations would you offer to SAFA and also even other African FAs, to secure adequate funding and investment in women's football and how can they ensure the resources are allocated effectively to maximize impact at the grassroots level? Well, I think the major factor is girls' school football. I think
1: we have to have in all countries National girls football because that's your nursery, you know. It's one of the first things. When fortunately, thanks to FIFA, I've travelled the world, um, seeing things and, um, in places like Sweden, Denmark, uh, all these countries, like Germany specifically, little girls start playing football at five years, six years, seven years in the national teams. I'm not in the national team in schools, and and that's why they they, you know, really have been so advanced. Now you imagine, Africa, who has very little at that level, now has three teams going through. So imagine if if Africa had proper development structures, where would we be? And another aspect is that when I was the coach in 2000, I realised that the players would come to camp injured, uh, uh, not uh, uh, well-fed, some of them didn't go to school. So I started the High Performance Centre 22 years ago to bring the the national players there. And this certainly has paid off because 13 of the players in this Banyana squad come from that High Performance Centre. So this... Success of Banyana is not a lucky dip overnight thing. It's years of long-term player development, staff development, coach development, uh, administrator development to get to this point. And if we had more development in South Africa, Africa, even in South Africa, we don't have a national school league. So if we had that, it would also... We imagine where we would be. We can win the World Cup.
0: I mean, friend, you speak about some of the players that you've influenced in getting to this stage. When you were starting out that high performance centre back 22 years ago, I'd be curious to know just would would you would, were you dreaming of one day contributing to such a huge success in South African history? Because it might seem like we are dwelling on this question, but even here in South Africa on the ground, you, you see it, people are speaking about it, people are actively supporting this because it's a huge moment for not only women's football, but football in our country. So years ago, just that impact and that component of having a high-performance centre, now that influencing some of the Banyana stars that we see today, just how important was that move for you in retrospect?
1: Well, certainly, you know, as I say, it was fortunate that, PIFA um, took me overseas from 2001. I was an instructor. I was on the committees. I've been to every World Cup, Academy, Japan. And I saw that in USA, let me not forget USA, the trend setters. I realized in the USA, you've got to have an academy. And South Africa the only academy for girls of any high level is this one of mine at Tuck's HPC. But and and when I've been on courses in Africa I've encouraged countries and they have done that, like in Namibia, Botswana, etc., use their FIFA house, which FIFA built for these MAs, as a centre where girls can come and train and even in Namibia and Botswana, they went as far as putting locker rooms and beds where the girls can come and spend a weekend, a school holiday, and train. And and, and I learned that overseas and, and brought it back and implemented it here yeah, in South Africa. And that's why, as I say, things have turned around, you know. And also, I think a big, big factor is that many of the girls at the HPC Um, got scouted by universities overseas. So many of them have played at universities in USA, Nambula Kwali, Robin Moodley, etc., etc. So this has made a big difference too because our players have been exposed to world football, European football, which has always been way ahead of Africa, South Africa. So now we've been to... We've been to, um, you know, all these, uh, now the World Cup, and
2: and I think this is all the result of that. And from going to all these World Cups, um, going around the world with FIFA, getting to interact with different stakeholders, different uh, people, and also just getting to see the immense talent when it comes to men's football, what do you think are the lessons that can be drawn From this current World Cup uh, to enable Banyana Banyana and other African uh, women football teams successfully qualify and be competitive in upcoming tournaments like the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup?
1: Well, I think um, it was definitely, I think we need to have more competition in Africa. That's a big problem is there's not enough competition in Africa. There's only a competition every two years. Whereas in Europe, they're playing all the time, these national teams. They're near each other, but uh, so they can play all the time. But we don't have enough competition, and that's a big, big problem I fought for many years at uh, Kassafa. And, uh, and I think now, yes, we have the Champions League um, that teams go to, but we need more
0: competition, that's for sure. Given your experience at CAF once again, because I think that was such an important time for you in that capacity to really influence the women's game, realistically, was this sort of performance by three African teams expected, say two, three years ago? And what were the strategies that were put in place to ensure that we've got three teams in the FIFA Women's World Cup knockout stages?
1: Wasn't I think in anybody's mind? I can tell you that we would, we would have three teams there. I think the at the WAFCON, uh, at and you know the zone because they have tournaments every year almost for women under twenty seventeen senior, and Kosovo have made the difference because it's enabled our teams down here like South Africa and Zambia specifically. To compete a lot, you know, and get to the World Cup. And um, Morocco is fortunate that many of their players play in Europe, and Morocco is right next to Europe, so they have uh, quite a bit of interaction. Uh, Nigeria, too, has uh, 14, I think, players playing in Europe. So playing professional football is, ch- as, as one of the reasons why we're doing so well in in the World Cup.
2: Yes. And I know a lot is being said and has been said about South Africa's bid to host the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup. What are your thoughts on this? Do you believe it's the right, right time for South Africa to host a second World Cup, owing to the fact that the first World Cup really warmed people's hearts, especially in Africa? Definitely, definitely. I think this this uh,
1: success of the three teams um, really gives a huge push to host the World Cup in Africa and specifically South Africa who did so brilliantly in 2010. So I think the success stories of the three teams is going to go a long way in getting us that World Cup, a long way.
0: And finally, friend. As much as we can celebrate right now, we could possibly have even more success from not only Banyana Banyana, but even Nigeria and Morocco, progressing to the latter stages of the World Cup. What are the big lessons and instructive analyses that we can take from this World Cup going forward to ensure that we have even more success in the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup?
1: Well, just that we can do it. I think now these teams have shown that they can do it. So we've got to build on that. I mean, I saw an article by one of the Italian players who was saying that, gosh, they've got such development and such uh, everything. And, and South Africa's got very little, most of that, well, not Morocco, they've got quite a bit of development, but Nigeria, us. Um, and they were saying, can you imagine if, the, if these countries had better youth structures, youth development. She said, this Italian girl, an African team would have won the World Cup long ago. So we've got to just keep going. And we have shown now that we have what it takes uh, to to get going. I mean, to get into the last 16, before the world champions, twice Germany, Brazil, all the, it's just incredulous. It's um." I'm flying up in the sky.
0: Definitely. So are we. I know you are making your way to Australia very soon to enjoy the rest of the knockout stage action. All the best with that. Hopefully, Banyana Banyana, Morocco, even Nigeria can pick up the trophy because I think it's a very open tournament. Fran Hilton-Smith, a legend when it comes to African women's football. Someone who has paved the way for many of the players who are now representing us in Australia and New Zealand. It was an honour and privilege to have you on the Africa Business of Sport podcast, Fran, and we're really looking forward to even more successes, hopefully, for the rest of the tournament.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure and an honour to be on your programme. Thank you. Thank you, Fran.